Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and in today's episode, We are going to be talking about emotional eating, why we do it, and some tips and tricks to help you understand your why so that you can have the tools to get out of that pattern of emotional eating. To help us through this topic, I'm happy to have Maddie Lansdowne on the program today. He is a scientist, nutritionist, and an emotional eating and self-sabotage coach that specializes in weight loss and self-confidence for women and busy mothers. Starting out in the field of nutrition, nutritional epigenetics and spending several years working in hospitals as part of a disease research team, Maddie believes that most disease and illness is not due to bad luck, but as a result of poor nutrition and lifestyle choices. Maddie's extensive experience allowed him to uncover the deeper challenge people have with health, which isn't about calories or kale, but in fact, mindset and behavior change. Having been on his own personal development journey, Maddie is now super passionate about showing people how to level up their health so that healthy habits and not the best food choices are easy and natural. Likewise, Maddie's weekly podcast, How to Not Get Sick and Die, provides his followers and clients with a deep dive into nutrition and how to develop healthy habits that last. So because we're talking about dieting, not really dieting, but nutrition and lifestyle, this is a great time for me to plug a new book that just came out, Integrative and Lifestyle Medicine and Physical Therapy, edited by Ginger Garner and Joe Tata, both physical therapists. And I'm super excited to say that I am a co-author of this book. So there's some amazing authors in this book. So definitely check it out. If you're listening to this, you can go to OPTP. Or you can just head over to the show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, click on the link, and it'll take you right to the book. So a big thank you to Maddie for coming on to the program today to talk all about emotional eating and how we can change our mindset around it. Everyone enjoy today's episode. Hey, Maddie, welcome to the podcast. I am happy to have you on today to talk about the D word, and we'll get into that in a second, but welcome to the podcast. Hey, Karen. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. So like I said, we're going to be talking about the D word, dieting, right? Yeah. Why does everyone go on a diet? Why do we think we always have to be on a diet? And and of course, ultimately, why a lot of them just don't work, right? Yeah, it's such, and, such a good question. Yeah. And, and I'm sure a lot of it, it has to do, and we'll get into this, the psychology behind it and why we eat and why we do the things that we do. Um, and I know one of the things that you're really passionate about is working with people to understand their emotional eating. So can you talk about kind of what is emotional eating and why do we do it? Yeah, that's like, yeah, understanding that is really the the answer to possibly all health questions, I think. Um, and I think emotional eating to sort of classify it in like a textbook fashion would be eating for any other reason than nutritional requirement. Um, and 
then we get into the weeds instantly with what is nutritional requirement because we're in this world, unfortunately, that has, you know, anything in a bag, a box or a can is food that is somehow manipulated and changed and altered in a way that doesn't resemble the type of food that our genetics and our body is uh, expecting to receive or familiar with receiving. Um, and so that's why, it, you know, people are always looking for diets because we've been consuming this food and living these very westernized lifestyles, which have led to bodies that are sadly really unhealthy and really unwell, whether that be through the lens of I've got excess body fat or whether that be through the lens of diabetes or just any type of dysfunction in the body. Um, it, it, there's, the diet is going to be a part of that in some way. Um, and so we've created this yeah, unfortunate reality where everybody wants to be on a diet uh, because they're marketed and sold to us as being the answer to basically getting your bikini body back or pretending that a woman that's 55 can now be 21 again, you know, and that marketing, it like, it, it appeals to everybody because of course we want, we all want our youth back. We all wish we could, you know, go back in time and be there where we thought we were fat then, but actually now in retrospect, we're like, oh, I wasn't fat at all. I wish I had that body. Um, or it might be in the case of like physical wellness and disease, which is like, yeah, I've eaten myself into some really significant health problems. And it's not just food. It's important to acknowledge stress, sleep, relationships in your life, uh, the house that you live in, toxins, they're all a part of the equation. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's really important for people to, I guess, first understand, yeah, what is emotional eating? Eating for reasons that are not nutritional requirement. And then second, why would I be eating foods not not for nutritional requirement? And then that's where we get into emotions. And how so how can people understand if their eating is emotional eating does that make sense makes perfect sense okay. and every single one of my clients ask the same question in the beginning um so the the way that we sort of get to realizing that is um, like has have the diets you've tried in the past, did they work for a short period of time and then you went back to how you were eating before? Um, or did you, you know, you couldn't wait, you used lots of willpower for maybe six, 12 weeks and you, you just couldn't wait for week 13 when you got the wine back, the chocolate back, the pizza back. Um, and if the, any of that stuff is a feature of the way that you've gone about food and nutrition in the past, then it's highly likely that those foods that you were looking forward to putting back into the diet were consumed from an emotional standpoint. If you're thinking about food that you'll consume in six months or three weeks, that's not your hunger right now, that's definitely emotional. You are looking forward to having an experience that will bring you pleasure. Um, so the way to sort of ascertain it in your day-to-day -day life is to sort of do an internal check-in when you go to the pantry or to the fridge. If it's not mealtime, approximate mealtime, and that looks different for a lot of people, and you're not actually like, yeah, I've got genuine hunger in my stomach and it's been a while since I've eaten, it kind of makes sense that, that now's the time. Um, and you get there and you realize, Oh, I actually kind of don't feel that hungry, but I really want the thing, want the chocolate, want the nuts, want the muesli, want the yogurt, whatever it is, but I'm not really hungry. There's definitely an emotion driving that behavior. So it's basically, yeah, you got to check in with yourself and you've got to take a really conscious, a conscious 10 to 20 seconds to really check in with your body. And you might even do a little bit of breath work in that time just to calm your nervous system down to be like, am I actually hungry? And probably if you're listening to this, it's likely you're in a very privileged, wealthy country. It's probably very likely that you're going towards that food for emotion rather than hunger. And how can, what can we do in those moments? So I know you said like, take a minute, breathe, 
But Mm -hmm. if it is this emotional eating, how do we get to the sort of root cause of these emotions that are causing us to eat more? Yeah, well, and that's a that can be a really confronting and heavy answer for some mm-hmm. people. Um, and like everybody that yeah jumps into the the work that I do, I I don't sugarcoat it in any way. I say this might make you cry. <laughs> you know, we've been using these tools often to hide from or cover up feelings that we're uncomfortable with or situations. It might be a situation with our partner that instead of having the difficult conversation that's been there for 15 years, we just get wine and chips every night. And I I use that example because I've had clients in that situation that when we removed that, some problems from a long time ago were able to be dealt with. And so I guess the way that you want to navigate that is you don't want, because we, we're essentially in the, that moment, we're using food as an escape, right? We're escaping an uncomfortable emotion or trying to move towards a pleasurable emotion. So if we ascertain the motivation, like, which is that, that first question, am I trying to escape or am I trying to move towards? Once we've answered that question, we can figure out, okay, we need a list of other alternative escape options other than food, because sometimes we have to escape. Because expressing your inner child's worst moment from when you were, you know, hurt as a, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago in the middle of a board meeting on Wednesday is a really bad idea, right? So it's not that we shouldn't always escape. Sometimes we need to escape those feelings because they're not practical to be dealt with in the current moment. So we need a a healthy, and I call them routine swap outs. So it's like the eating the food is this ingrained routine or pattern that's automated. And through, through this process, we bring it out of automation and into your sort of manual awareness. Uh, and then from there, we figure out, right, now I know what I'm getting for this, from this, escaping the pain or moving towards pleasure. What is a list of things that I can put together to change this routine to be able to then create a, a more favorable outcome where I'm not punishing myself with food in the process? And then there's, of course, there's the that's the escape. Then we also need to put a list of um, things together about how we might actually process um, because processing is really important. Otherwise, we're on this roundabout forever, hence the yo-yo diet cycle that many people have been on. Um, and some re- research says that, Most women uh, have been on 17 years of dieting and spent $40,000 only to be left with a problem that they never solved, basically. And so, so yeah, we've got to, we've got to actually process. So distinguishing the motivating factors, why it's there. And and I call it the why times five. And it's kind of like, just why am I hungry? It's like the surface level thing might be, oh, because I want food. And it's like, okay, let's go a little deeper. Why do you want food? Uh, because I'm bored, bored of my work. I got up from my desk and I moved to the kitchen. Why are you bored from the from your work? And it might be like, well, I hate spreadsheets. Why do you hate spreadsheets? I don't feel super confident actually doing them. Like I kind of feel a bit lost and, and it's like, you know, I, I kind of just fumble through the task. And then the why that inevitably is at the bottom of that is I don't feel good enough, right? I don't feel capable enough. Right. And it's and it might be one of those things. And, and that's that's the little routine that we get people to go through every time they find themselves in a situation where they would be snacking or even in the middle of a snack or a binge or an Uber Eats order that, you know, isn't for hunger. Um, and we dig down that little rabbit hole and you can see how very rapidly it can become very deep and confronting. But once we're there, now we've finally confronted or met with the cause of the reason that these yo-yo diets have cycled around for years and years and years, because most of those diets never deal with that piece. Right. They just deal with, you know, eat, eat less food, eat this food, mm-hmm. not that food. 
write everything down, keep a journal, all that kind of stuff, which works in the short term for many people. Yeah. But then it comes back again because I guess you're not really addressing some deeper things. Is that accurate? Totally. Yeah, totally. Well, and the other thing is too, like where we're driven by dopamine humans are driven by the hormone dopamine which is the happy hormone the pleasure hormone and it's the reason the species exists it drives us to procreate and have sex it drives us to hunt food but the catch is because in the last 100 to 150 years social evolution moved so rapidly along with technology is that we're now in this modern day world where we have access to dopamine keep in mind getting dopamine used to be risking your life hunting a buffalo you know or a wildebeest and there was a huge cost risk like in order to get that dopamine or it was like impressing a woman in much more traditional setting in order to have sex for both parties to to engage in sex the man would have to you know impress the woman and vice versa and again it was a long cost a, a significant allocation of time before you got your dopamine now we can wake up at 2 a.m. and pull our phone out and get a dopamine hit from our Facebook update, Instagram, TikTok, or even in most cities in the world now, you can get sugar, which massively like hits the dopamine button in a massive way uh, from a 7-Eleven around the corner that's open 24-7 or a service station or a gas station. And so we have to put no effort in to get this hormone that we're driven to seek. So understanding sort of the science and the psychology behind dopamine drive, because many people actually go on this Y times five exercise and they're like, I can't really find a belief or a trauma in my past that's driving this and it can simply be biological addiction to the sugar which then addicts you to the dopamine the happy hormones because every single day of our life we're trying to create situations where dopamine is available to us because it makes every human on the planet feel good and so what can we do when we're in the thick of it to feel good without having that hit of sugar or snack or muffin you know you're at your desk and you're not feeling great and because you know offices there's always a muffin or a donut or some sort of sugary something laying around so (laughs) when we're in those moments what can we do to get that that dopamine hit i use that in quotation marks um versus having the sugar and feeding that addiction if you will because it is an addiction yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it, and it's funny. I often get asked as an emotional eating coach, "What's the difference between emotional eating and um, sugar addiction?" And it's one of those things that if you ask an emotional eating coach, they will say it's you know they're both the same. If you ask a sugar addiction coach, that they'll say they're both the same. Um, so it very much is in that realm. But this list of things that we need to do alternatively to produce that experience is going to be different for every single individual. Um, and it's the other thing is too, that we've got to have like a really practical list and a little bit later in the week list, because if you're a mom or if you've got, you know, super busy job, you can't just necessarily respond to it in that moment. It's like, you know, you, you might need a list of options that can be done under two minutes. And that might include a little bit of breath work, a walk around the block, 10 push-ups, you know, something that moves your body and we know produces dopamine. Um, It can be simply hugging somebody. Like, you know, a lot of people go towards food for love and connection and security and safety and predictability. Um, So, and we can get all of those things from hugging somebody that we love. Um, And and these might sound overly simplistic because I often tell my clients, we want to find something of equal or greater value. 
And they're like, Maddie, ain't nothing more valuable than a glass of wine. <laughs> um, and so then we do this thing, which um, James Clear in Atomic Habits talks about, which is habit stacking, essentially, which is like, we might need to do two or three of our little swap outs that we've come up with in order to feel appropriately satisfied that we can, you know, now put ourselves in a position of power to say, actually, no, I'm not really not really wanting the chocolate anymore or the the muffin or the wine or whatever it is. Um, and and it's it might even too be just to elapse the time. Um, and they do that a lot in sugar addiction space as well. When you get to the meal or you get to the pantry, you say, if I want it, I'll have it at the next meal. And you do that for every single meal. Um, so you take the stigma away of, you know, you definitely want to get away from the don'ts, no, avoid, can't have, because that triggers our inner rebel to be like, watch me, I'll do that. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so we want to take the stigma away from it. But um, but yeah, that little list of things is going to be different for everybody. Um, and yeah, we want to explore what's available to us. I literally, I have a little indoor trampoline that's one of my own uh, little routine swap outs. And it's purposely on the way to the kitchen because I run my own show from home. Um, and I jump on that for literally about three jumps and I've totally forgotten about food altogether. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways we can go about it. So it sounds to me like achieving weight loss goals or even just being healthier and fit, right? Cause we don't want to have to tie everything to weight loss because that's yeah. not necessarily the goal for everyone. I think, like you said before, being being healthy, being fit, avoiding chronic disease, which happens a lot in people um, who are overweight. So it sounds like it's not so much about food, but it's about the psychology behind what we attach to that food. Yeah, you're you're totally right. Um, and I think it's one of those things, I believe in the idea of how you do anything is how you do everything. And the thing that underpins uh, the way you do food, the way you manage relationships in your life, the way you rock up to your job and how you execute, is it's all from your own mind. Um, so if we can work on that, then there's going to be a positive flow through all areas of your life, but um, equally food. And, and if you are trying to lose weight, weight loss as well. Right. And, you know, people... People love plans, right? So out of this conversation, you know, it, it we're talking about changing habits and psychology and dopamine. And a lot of people might be thinking, okay, what's what's the plan? Give give me a plan here, you know, like what what do I need to do to get healthier, to be fit, and perhaps to lose weight? How can I do that and sustain it? So what is your answer to that question? What's the plan? Yeah. So the, the first step of the plan has to be looking backwards. You cannot understand how the present came to exist if you don't understand the past. And I think that's one of the problems with fad diet culture and yo-yo diets is that on Monday, change everything about your life. Why? Because apparently that's better. Um, and we instead of we can't undo the work of the past unless we know what created it. Um, so we have to reflect on our past, whether there be a big trauma there that we can find, or whether we just understand on a deeper level that we've been convinced by 45 years of marketing and advertising of the sugar industry, which spends literally billions of dollars purposely to, to addict you and convince you. So we have to understand how did I came to be now? Because if we don't know the answer to that question, then no diet is going to work. If we understand that question, then we can start moving forward with, okay, how can I navigate that space in a different way? Because currently the way I'm navigating it 
has meant that over the last 25 years, I've gained weight every year or has led to a situation where um, I've got a cancer diagnosis or a diabetic diagnosis or whatever it might be. Because if we don't understand the driver behind our behavior, where it's very unlikely we're going to change it because we're not dead. And that's literally how the core uh, reptilian part of your brain operates. It says, if we're not dead, everything we've been doing up until this moment has been relatively okay because it hasn't killed us. So Mm -hmm. we won't change unless we can find some kind of understanding as to how we got here and, and then also be inspired to be like, oh, and I can do it differently. Um, which is, you know, a lot of people get their inspiration from social media, but you really need to find that inspiration within yourself because there's only so long that we can want to be like the person on Instagram or TikTok that we, you know, get inspired by every now and then. We need to want to be better for ourselves or our children every single day. Right. And I I love that, you know, you're presented with a situation and you kind of have to make that conscious decision, like you said, of, how can I look at this situation and react to it in a different way than I normally would? So I yeah. think first it's it's confronting the situation and having that sort of internal drive to say, okay, this is what happens. I can't control the situation, but you know, people say this all the time, you can control how you react to it. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, you know, if we're working off of psychology, we're working off of patterns within the brain the more you respond to these similar situations by maybe not having that handful of candy or the muffin or whatever it may be, will that change that patterning in our brain eventually? So that when we get into that situation again, the brain is going to be like, Oh, we don't not, not necessary. We know how to handle this in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. It won't change it permanently because the the body and the brain and evolutionarily speaking, we've identified that these fast sugar sources are, are, you know, survival techniques basically to eat these foods. Even though we, you know, often live in very privileged, abundant worlds, um, the brain still is knows that's like, oh, there's fast energy. So we're never going to, you know, get rid of it forever. And if you, if you ever talk to a drug addict or a sugar addict, really, that's um, in recovery, they they they're under no illusion that it feels good at the time um and it's you know whether it be heroin cocaine alcohol they're like yeah when i'm in the middle of it it feels amazing the same when you put the chocolate in your mouth or the lollies or the candy in your mouth like in that moment it feels great but the catch is that it you know triggers a cascade so you'll always have this knowing and this knowledge in your mind that that's the experience um and if you've done it for decades that will definitely be uh you know those neurons in your brain will be really thick however we can start building up an alternative set of neurons which by default will take the the sort of physical thickness out of the other ones it's because the brain works on a you don't um, if you don't use it, you lose it. So we want to start building up the neurons in a different pathway. Um, and, and we want to do it slowly too. We don't want to, it's not day one, throw everything out, buy 400 kilograms of kale and live your healthiest life. I, I have this little mantra that I that I always use, which is one tweak a week. We want to make one change and that might be just focusing on breakfast this week, you know, and this is once we've already done the reflective work, um, but we just, just breakfast, forget about every other meal, every other snack, just work on, you know, working on breakfast and making it great and whatever great looks like for you. And then once that feels kind of normal to your nervous system, your identity, your personality, your routine, then we move on to the next one. I like that. So you're not kind of bombarding 
your system with this huge change. Cause like you said, yeah. it's like, Oh, I'm going to start this program Monday morning and, and everything's going to be great and it's going to be no problem. <laughs> and, and that's why people start programs and don't finish them. Yeah. Or maybe they finish them. And then a couple months later, they're kind of right back to where they started because they didn't make these slow changes over time and said it was just like, you know, a shock to the system. And so from from what I'm hearing is that it takes time and that's okay. And I think you also have to give yourself some grace to Mm -hmm. know that it takes time and it's not something that's going to happen. Like if, if your plan is to lose, I don't know, 20 pounds, it's not going to happen in two weeks. And if it does, I'd say that's pretty unhealthy. Yeah. Oh, and like, yeah, we get all get caught up in marketing and advertising yeah. and, you know, the the amazing thing that's just around the corner. But mm-hmm. most of the people I work with are sort of uh, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and they've done so much of that that they're like, I've finally got enough evidence after doing this for 30 years that it doesn't work that way. Right. And so if you think about it, I get people to think about it like a mountain. It's like if you've been walking up the mountain for 25 years and you're on the top of the mountain, the idea that you can change 25 years worth of behavior in like a 28 day challenge at the gym or, you know, an eight week program is like even just in basic logic, it doesn't make much sense. So the reality is 25 years up the mountain, we might need to walk down it. And my mum is a perfect example. She's in the process of walking down it. She's lost 30 kilograms, which is like 70 odd pounds. Amazing. Um, yeah. And but it's taken her four years. Um, and she's still got plenty to go, but she's been in the situation she's been with her health for 35 years. So we have to unfortunately, it's unsexy and it's not good for headlines or clickbait or anything like that. We have to, you know, accept that this is going to be a one, two, three, four-year journey. But the good thing is every day of that journey, you'll feel better. You're moving in the right direction rather than going from one extreme to the other. Absolutely. And I have a couple more questions here uh, before we kind of start to wrap things up. But another thing that I see a lot in the headlines is intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that, what it is and why would we want to do that? Yeah, sure. So intermittent fasting is just spacing out the times that you do and don't eat, basically, because I think, uh, well, there's a research study that came out of the US last year, 2021, and they found that currently in 2021, uh, Americans were eating on average six to 11 times per day. Um, and I would say if you're eating 11 times per day, it's really just once. <laughs> it's just once that never ends. <laughs> so one, um, one really long meal. Yeah, just a grazing day. But but the point of intermittent fasting is to start winding back the frequency. Um, and a lot of people um, understand that it's like, oh, fasting. So just don't eat. That makes sense. I'll lose body fat. And I'm really sort of anti that message because especially for women, because women's hormones really need to be nurtured and looked after, especially if they've been on so many different diets, which smash their hormones around all over the place. And so it's, it's not any defined period of time. It's going to look different for everybody. Um, but it's basically just making sure that when you're not eating, you're really not eating. Um, there's no snacking. There's nothing in between. And that allows the gut to go into a repair mode because we eat so frequently in the Western world. You can live a full 50, 70 years without your gut ever really having a day off. Um, and we want the gut to actually repair itself because that's where a lot of the immune system lives. That's where the, the food you know interacts with our actual body. Um, Um, So it's not necessarily about having a whole day away from food, but it's just about, it might be returning to breakfast, lunch, and dinner only. 
like no snacks. It could be 7 a.m., midday, 7 p.m. That might be intermittent fasting for you. Um, some people, it might look like breakfast moves till 11 a.m. and dinner's at 7 p.m. So we've got that's kind of like the typical 16 hours fasting, eight hours eating. But it's definitely not about going hardcore deprivation on hunger. You don't want to be, if you're experiencing overwhelming hunger, there's some things missing and you're maybe not doing it correctly. Um, but you'll find a lot of people on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok that talk about just, yeah, the longer the fast, the better. I strongly disagree with that, especially for women. Thank you. And thanks for clearing that up because that is something that we see a lot on social media. And so you think, oh, okay, so I'll just like not eat for a day and then eat again yeah. and then take two days off from eating and just drink water, tea. And then and it's like so unrealistic. Um, yeah. And well, it just, just does the same thing as all the other fad diets, which is throw you all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. At all. Yeah. So every time totally. I see them, I'm like, I don't get it. But yeah. like you said, marketing works, right? And this is dieting yeah. is a billion dollar industry. And we've been bombarded by these claims for decades for for a lot of us our whole entire life. Yeah. Well, and if you're not a nutrition or biology expert in any way, it makes total sense. If Because if you think of the body through a single dimension system of calories in, calories out or energy in, energy out, it's like, so I don't put energy in. Of course, I lose weight. That's the whole thinking process for most people. And that's why I totally understand it. it makes sense. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the reality. The body is so intensely complex. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're more than one system and more than one dimension. Um, so, yeah. So thank you for clearing that up. And and uh, hopefully the listeners have a better understanding of what intermittent fasting is and that it can be different for everyone and that you should probably work with a health coach or um, a nutritionist, if you're thinking about moving into certainly intermittent fasting, I think, or working with folks like you to help get people to their their why, their five, the 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 why the times, why five, times five, yeah, right? <laughs> to kind of get down and and so that they can really understand. Okay, this is why I'm doing this, and I need to to face some hard truths in order to get beyond what I'm doing because it's not helping me and it's not healthy. Yeah, totally. And yeah, that journey takes a little bit of time and that's okay. And guess what? You'll fall off the bandwagon and that's also okay. Mm, absolutely. And now um, I have a couple more questions. I have a question that I ask everyone, but we'll save that for a second. Um, but what would you like the listeners to walk away with? If they could kind of encapsulate what we spoke about and what you want them to remember, what would that be? Um, so I've spoken in, I've been fortunate enough to speak in many countries, on many podcasts, different things, and I've never met somebody that didn't know what to eat. Like a lot of people say information, information, information. Information is not like nutrition, education, and science is not the transformational variable. It's highly likely that you need to spend about 10 seconds thinking about what you should be putting on your plate. You already know. So you already have all of the tools in your mind, but if things are not working, then it might be your psychology, your emotions, your mindset. Um, so it's highly likely you've got the tools for the nutrition. You know what to do there. We need to go a little bit deeper Is is the take home message I would want everybody to leave with. Yeah. I never thought about that before, but you're totally right. I mean, I know what to put on my plate and still yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I think I'd rather that gummy bear. 
<laughs> that's probably better. That's probably yeah, I've never better. found someone that's not like, is, <laughs> is chocolate good for breakfast? Nobody's ever asked me that. Like, <laughs> I think... I think that would be a better dinner. Of course, it's not a better dinner. Like, we know this. We know totally. this stuff. Okay, so now where can people find you if they have questions, social media, website, all that fun stuff? Yeah, sure. So uh, my website, maddielandsdown.com. So you can just check out stuff there. We've got some articles and a few different things there. Um, we've got a Facebook group specifically for mothers. So it's called the Healthy Mums Collective. Um, and that's for people that are wanting to end their emotional eating and feel good in their own skin again. Um, and Facebook website podcast, uh, How to Not Get Sick and Die is the name of my podcast. So yeah, we're just about to hit 200 episodes, which is amazing. So come and hang out there. Awesome. Congratulations. That's a big milestone. And we'll Thank have you. we'll have direct links to everything at this podcast website, which is podcast.healthywealthysmart.com um, in the show notes for this episode. So one click will take you to everything that Maddie has going on. Um, and you can learn more about him on his website. And if you want to work with him, you can also learn how to do that on his website. Okay. So Maddie, last question. And it's one I ask everyone is knowing where you are now in your life and career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, that's a good question. I know that my younger self would not believe I was this older self. <laughs> He'd be like, you're like a drunk hippie. Um, <laughs> but probably to be more open-minded. Um, when I started out in Western medicine, where I worked in a cancer hospital, I worked in many laboratories. I just thought everything outside of that field was woo-woo nonsense and and I was so solid in my convictions that science and medicine was the greatest thing ever um, because if it wasn't then why would it exist and that was before I really understood capitalism <laughs> um, so yeah I would just say to people that there's you know there's a little bit of truth in absolutely everything um, and there's a do your own research learn be open-minded and, and just move forward with absolute curiosity I was not curious enough as a younger um, scientist and it led me to well just be delayed in the way that I executed my life and my success I guess but um, but yeah be open-minded is what I would ask my younger self to be I think that's great advice I love it the listeners I'm sure appreciate it and love it as well so Maddie thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this and again everyone check out his website and if you want to work with him you can get all the information on his site so Maddie thanks so much Thanks, Karen. I appreciate you hanging out with me. Absolutely. And everyone, thanks so much for listening and have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy and smart. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.